0: Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippi, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. First of all, thanks, everyone, for making last week's episode with Joe Walsh, our most downloaded episode ever. It's a conversation I think is worth listening to. Please spread the word and ask others to take a listen. This week, lots to get into. Democrats with more momentum after a big special election win. A whole lot of pundits are starting to wake up to the fact that we've been talking about for months here on this show the supposed red wave is turning into a red mirage. And, you know, look, I've been saying for months that I thought we would gain in the Senate. And while I have refrained from saying we would keep the House, I have been saying repeatedly that I thought we had a much better chance at holding it than the punditry thought. And I think that's coming to fruition as well. So, Alex, where do you want to get started?
1: Well, and to let readers behind the curtain a little bit, we weren't going to lead with this until the election results came in, and we had to talk about New York 19 and why it's so important. Joe, you got to it a little bit. This was a reader question we got this week. We're starting with a reader question, I might point out, and this is from Jody in New Hampshire. Does Biden's uptick in approval numbers mean a genuine turn in public opinion? How long does it take for polling and eventually voting to reflect a positive shift? Do the special elections really mean anything right now? So I thought that would be a great place to start, Joe.
0: Yeah, but look, I mean, traditionally, uh, approval, presidential approval has a lot to do with a midterm election. And we've talked about this a lot on the show. There have been times, though, when there was a decoupling where the president's uh, low approval ratings were superseded by, as I guess what McConnell would say, that candidate quality at the Senate or congressional level. You know, I've used as examples of that the 2010 uh, Senate elections where the Republicans nominated a bunch of crazies and and actually lost what should have been uh, taking the Senate. So uh, I, I think we've, I've been saying for months that there are all kinds of signs that that decoupling is going on. It's hard to explain how, with Biden's approval ratings in the 30s, that Fetterman, for instance, would have a sizable lead in Pennsylvania. And you're seeing that now in these specials. And that's where I think the specials do matter, where Democrats are clearly outperforming Biden in these special elections. You know, Biden won a a district by 1.5. The Democratic candidate is winning that district by three points. And you're starting to see, you know, be after the Dobbs decision where Republicans were winning these specials, sort of outperforming, you know, where what you would think was going to happen with Republicans by two or three, maybe four points. It's now Democrats are. Uh, I think uh, what was it? I think it was Nate Silver today who pointed out that the shift has been a positive plus nine. Democrats are running seven, eight, nine points ahead of where Biden ran in these districts. So that, which is, I think also further proof of that decoupling that's go, that's been going on that I expect will go on. And I thought for the from the get-go that the dynamics that were creating that, them, their ultra mega crazy candidates, they've kept nominating them. And I think, you know, the crazy, that's going to be consistent. And I think only more obvious to people as we get closer to election day and i've said look if we do the work they do the crazy we're going to win look at the positive things that biden and democrats with occasional small you know bipartisan support from some re- from a very few handful of republicans has accomplished so i think all that's uh, pushing in a way that i think is only going to get bigger as we move forward and i think you know a lot of you listen to pundits now they're all saying yeah but uh, hey things are looking good but but you know, traditionally, they the the numbers start to dissipate for the party in power as as we get closer to Election Day. I don't think that's going to happen. That's what I mean. That's the punditry. They're, they're right, by the way. That is how it almost always happens. I don't think there's any signs. All the signs are in the opposite direction.
1: Well, if you'd see that sign moving, New York 19 would have been different. Let me read you some numbers. So this is pre-Dobbs in early June. Republican outperformed Trump by 19 in a redistricted special election in California. That one's kind of an outlier. Dobbs happens. Here are the four elections since. Nebraska, in a Trump 11 district, the Republican won by five. Minnesota, in a Trump 10 district, the Republican only won by four. So that's six points below. In New York, on Tuesday, in a Biden plus 1.5 district, you pointed out it's now about three points, Democrat won by three and in a we'll get to in a minute in a Trump plus 11 district the Republican only won by I think 6.6 6. so you're seeing a clear swing towards Democrats in basically every remember Kansas too so I mean and that's why I mean you can talk about what we were talking about earlier from Dave Wasserman at Cook but everybody is starting to shift now
0: yeah he, he, Wasserman in May the outlook was a GOP gain of 20 to 35 seats Based on recent developments, we've revised our outlook to a 10 to 20 seat GOP gain, with Dems maintaining control not out of the question. So, which is pretty much where I've been for for you know, we've talked about on the on the show for months, and I've you know, again explained ad nauseum my reasons why. But I just think that even that that for the Cook Report to now be saying that maintaining control of the House is not out of the question, given where they were months ago, is just is pretty significant. And then you know, New York nineteen was huge. You know, Nate Silver on the results, he thinks this might mean that the House could lean Democrat. I mean, in other words, we've gone totally to now. This could be the House leans Democrat it is quote you know a 2020 type performance is not a particularly high bar to clear for democrats who had a meh year in races for congress but it would be enough for them to clear favorites in the senate and maybe add a seat or two and the house would at least be a toss up and probably leans d so i mean that's these are all big shifts uh in the punditry because of what they're saying and what they're saying is well what dobbs clearly energized. That's a big shift in energy. The, the numbers that you talked about, Alex, in the, you know, before Dobbs specials and the post-Dobbs specials. But the most important thing I think about New York 19, I believe that when when there's a party, a candidate who's extreme, to the extreme, that's one of the things that, char- that moves the, that, this decoupling along. In other words, like, okay, yeah, I'm not happy with who the president is or what, The party in power is doing. But man, this person's crazy. I can't do that. And we did see that in 2010 in three or four Senate races. The thing I think that's different is that it's the entire party, that the entire party is so extreme, that Dobbs made that clear to people how extreme the party is. And then, of course, all the actions of the state legislatures afterwards to, you know, immediate ban, six-week ban, you know, all, all the different contraceptives, all the different things that they've been doing has put the entire party there. And one of the signs of that in New York 19 was Lonaro was not a, put it this way, he's, he's at least one of the less crazier Republicans who's on the ballot. And so what that says to me is my theory of the entire party is now being seen as extreme as it should be, given, you know, the ultra MAGA taking control of it. But that's now infecting and and hurting candidates writ large in the party. So I think I think this is where the Cook Report they have is wrong in that if it starts impacting people like Molinaro and Democrats are still having, you know, the energy that we saw in terms of of being able to, to get that turnout like we've had it. I think the 10 to 20 seats he thinks the GOP or they think the GOP can win are based on those kind of demographics. They're looking at, at, well, there's some people who could win some of these marginal seats. I don't. If this party is seen writ large as extreme and is creating a decoupling on the national stage that says there's a choice here: the crazy or the people get things done, and Biden and Democrats, with a handful of Republicans, are getting a lot of things done. Then I think that's how you get to a point where Dems maintain control and actually, in a shocker, hold the House. We got to do the work. I keep saying this. They're going to be doing the crazy. We have to keep doing the work. We got to get people out. We need to continue to make the case. And frankly, we need to keep getting things done. And gosh, I mean, the last month or two, there's been a flurry of things that have been got you know that have gotten done and I think are gonna have a real impact.
1: To be fair with what Coke does and what five thirty eight does, I mean it's very database, right? They're aggregating polls, they're aggregating results. And I I you're right, I think where the model is lagging is that they have not taken into account kind of some of the conditions that we're all seeing, and I think you've been pointing out since the beginning. But as you've seen some of these elections and everyone's been calling New York 19 a bellwether district, it's th- that's why his, his model went from you know, 35 to now 10 to 20.
0: Yeah, I just want to make one point about that. Look, I, I know everybody goes like, oh well, Biden won the district by 1.5 and you guys just won it in the special by two. Yeah. You know what? If Biden's positives were if his approval was up near 50, that's how it should be. You know, you you no the, the the problem is here that you're ignoring the fact that he's down in the high thirties, low forties. There should have been an undertow in New York '19, particularly with a candidate like Molinaro. These people looking at just the numbers, just those numbers would have expected the Republicans to take this seat. And by the way, had they, they'd all be all the everybody be screaming, "Oh man, the red wave is coming." That didn't happen, it doesn't. It hasn't happened. Even by the way, when you go back and look at the pre-Dobbs things, yes, Republicans were were doing better, and but it just it wasn't that that way. So, you know, if you're you're looking at a wave, I just don't see it because you've got too many of these districts. Yeah, everybody goes well the redistricting. It, it, it's true. There's all these safe seats out there, but the thirty or so seats or so, you know that are really the ones that lean this way, toss up and lean that way. I think we have a big advantage. There's a lot of them, and a lot of them are seats held by Democrats. But I think, you know, where the Republicans have nominated the crazy or where the crazy is so bad out there, and they're going to say more things between now and November, and Trump is too, and we're going to get more done. And by the way, you know, we'll see where the economy is by the time we get to Election Day, but I think there's improvement there as well. I think there's just lots of things that are going on right now that make, as somebody said, I can't remember, but the red wave is looking more like a red ripple. I have a lot of respect for Wasserman and and Silver and those guys, so I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think that what people are discounting is how enough people, enough voters, are starting to recognize how extreme the Republican Party has become, how the ultra MAGA folks have taken over a lot of the nominees. When you look at 139 of them on January 6th, were in the House and voted not to certify Joe Biden as president, how can you give those people a majority? And I think that, and and it would be one thing if they seem to be moderating, they're not. They're going even crazier and doubling down. So I think these are the things that, that the intangibles that are, I think, pretty clear it have been. But if you're just, if you're looking at polling, if you're looking at a district and you know, the plus five or plus six Republican district, and you think it's going to go, the Democrats aren't going to be able to take it, watch. I think people are going to be
1: surprised. You know, a, a couple more quick hitters on New York, um, and, and this is, again, coming from, from Wasserman, but he wrote, the sound you hear is the crash of expectations of big GOP gains in the House this fall. And he, he, his whole thing in Cook is worth a read. That's where we got the red. Joe, you got that red ripple line, which I think is pretty good. But yep. the other a couple little things in that race, you know, if you take a look at how Ryan, Pat Ryan campaigned at the end, he went really hard at abortion. I mean, that was like his whole centerpiece and yep. showing exactly what the Republican encroachment do. So that gets to your point, Joe, that it is polluting a lot of these other candidates
0: and Molinaro was, was focusing on inflation, the economy, et cetera, you know, I mean, which is everybody says, well, that was everybody's worried about, you know, high gas prices. Well, I mean, and by the way, we're seeing that even change now where in poll after poll, you're starting to see the threat to democracy is actually top of the chart on what issues people are worried about and inflation and the economy, even abortion. Is second or third to it. it? You know, and the other thing that the Simon Rosenberg, I think, uh, pointed out, uh, people need to think about. And this is an important fact to remember as you're talking to your friends out there. There are 222 districts that are more Democratic than New York 19. So remember, we got to have like 218 to have a majority. We won in New York 19. There are 222 districts on the ballot in November that are more Democratic than New York 19. That would give me heartburn if I was a Republican. you know. And, and by the way, they're not going to moderate. They're not going to be able to. And I think that's going to be a big problem, uh, particularly if they keep pounding away and doubling down on the crazy, which they just, I, they can't stop themselves from doing. And Trump, of course, will will be out there as well between, you know, a lot between now and November.
1: The 19th wasn't the only race that happened in New York on Tuesday. Uh, everyone. Everyone was looking, yeah. by the way, and and this was from Simon. And we should kind of just have a Simon update once a week on the
0: show. <laughs> yeah, he and Greg Sargent have been two of the only people early on. I mean, along with us, that were basically seeing this stuff uh, from the get go. So people should should read and follow Simon Rosenberg and Greg Sargent. We'll put their uh handles, their Twitter handles, uh, in the show notes.
1: Well, e- EJ Dion had a good point about the other election in New York on the 23rd, that it, it, I think Trump won it by 11 in 2010. The Republican only won by 6.6. And Dion said, quote, if we were in for a Republican wave this fall, the swing would have gone the other way. And it's just another data point making the case. I do also want to mention Florida, Joe. And I know you and I have been monitoring voter reg numbers like crazy in a bunch of these battleground states, but the Democratic uh gubernatorial primary that really ended up not being that contentious was pretty low-key. Voter turnout on the Dem side was through the roof. It was something like 1.5 million, and that's essentially on par with the full-on cont- huge battles that they had in, I think, 18. So pretty clear that a bunch of Democrats wanted to come out and vote.
0: Yeah, and interesting because our friends over at the union, I think, uh, did a deep dive into that turnout. And uh, what was fascinating was the turnout was even higher, as high as you just talked about, was more pronounced in more rural or less populated sort of out there areas of the state. Where they, I mean, like literally in the, the reddest counties in Florida had the highest Democratic turnout. And I think that is an, a reaction to the crazy. You normally only see this in a few races in a midterm, like we did in 2010 with Delaware, Nevada, and Missouri, because the candidates were saying, those three candidates were saying crazy things. A lot of the same kind of stuff that we're we're seeing now. So you see this, where there's a, that crazy, that extremism kind of creates a different dynamic that transcends Obama's approval ratings that were low at that time. And that's why we got wiped out in most of the other places. So What's, what I think is really clear here, and I think the Florida results are very instructive on this, is that it's an entire party, enough voters, not, not plenty of MAGA voters who think it's the, the Republican Party as it's now constituted, just needs to get even meaner. <laughs> so, but, so they're out there. So they're out there. But I do think that what's happened is enough voters are starting to see the threat. And they see it as a writ large across the entire party, and therefore they're not going to put a Molinaro. They're not going to vote for him. You know, put him in. It's going to be Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, all those guys. Uh, you know, all those folks will be one of them. Will be speaker, and the threat is growing. And I think people are seeing that. And when you and so if that's what's going on, if this isn't just this individual race, that individual race, which actually was how I started to see this year. And I just thought they were nominated so many crazies that maybe we could hold the House. Now I think it's almost a broad brush is tainting everybody in the party. First of all, there aren't that many less crazies being nominated. I mean, let's face it, it it really is across the party. Uh, You see it every day. I think this is the fact that the reddest areas of Florida actually had generated the highest Democratic turnout tells you how toxic the Republican and the threat and the the concern about that and the the energizing that has happened because of just how far the Republican Party's gone off the rails.
1: Joe, enough about New York for now. I'm sure we'll see a lot of repercussions and and more analysis from it as, as the weeks go on. But one race we haven't really talked about as much lately is actually Ohio, where a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, every week we get a couple of questions that are all essentially the same variants of the following. Is any of this real in Ohio? How real uh, you know how real is Tim Ryan? And the, the, the thing that people keep hitting is every cycle we get our hopes up in Ohio. But the reality is that it, it is pretty red and maybe redder than some people realize and it's it's tough to win. So how real is Ohio, Joe?
0: Well I mean, look Sherrod Brown has managed to win Ohio. You know, despite being pretty outspoken progressive, but you think about how he frames it—it's all about the dignity of work and making sure that policies he supports are relatable to blue-collar voters. Tim, Tim Ryan is absolutely out of that—that that made of the same cloth. There, it's absolutely real. His his ability to connect with voters and find uh, and find common ground with them is, I think, among the best we've seen this cycle. Why? Because he's authentically one of them. Right. It's real. And, yeah. And I think JD Vance, again, is just you know one fake, not real. God, how many times did that guy flip around? And he's not Ohio. I mean, he just doesn't. You know, he's just not one of them. They have the same problem with Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. They haven't nominated their best. We have, you know, since Dobbs, the polling is flipped in Ohio as well. Vance was up three to five points, and now you have Ryan up, uh, you know, one to three. He is in the lead there now. And this might be a case where the GOP nominated somebody, you know, someone really ultra-maga could backfire, right? I mean, he, J.D. Vance is not going to be able to push back and move to the middle, I don't think. Not with all the stuff he's done. And by the way, he's a lousy candidate. No one even knows where the hell he is most of the time. I just think in the end, the answer is Ohio is real if we make it real. Again, they keep doing the crazy. We have to keep doing the work and take advantage of the opportunity because there really is an opportunity here for Ryan, who is massively outraising Vance, although Vance has got his billionaires who are going to pour money in, I'm sure. But we now have to make the case to voters. I think you're seeing the threat to democracy rising and the polls turning. And yes, post-Dobbs, I think again, the extreme nature yes. of what maga has done to the party is being seen more and more as a threat not by just by democrats and independents but a growing number of republicans and i'm not sure vance can hold that republican you know whatever you want to call it, together and whether it'll be enough even in ohio so i i think we've got a real shot there i think it's real look i think there's all kinds of ways that we can gain seats in the, in the Senate, and Ohio really is one of them. And if we can pick off Ohio, I think we're, we could start to be getting into a place where we've got a workable majority in the Senate, where we can actually get more things done and not have to be dependent on trying to figure out if there's a Republican or, or whether Manchin will come along on something.
1: Right. So how does, how does a potential Ohio at least contest, and you and I both think it's winnable. How does that affect kind of the macro strategy? And I think it'd be worth going to a few minutes about, you know, what you and I and and our friends at the Lincoln Project and Union are really focused on for the next, you know, less than what, 80-something days at this point when people are listening to it?
0: Well, look, we'll get into this more in a future podcast with some of our Lincoln Project friends. But right now, we've all work together on this. Alex, you're part of this. And we've identified five states as critical for the defense of our democracy. Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Nevada. The key in these states and why we don't have Ohio or New Hampshire on the list is that there are multiple races in each of these states that can really make a difference. You know, money is going to be tighter this year. So we're focusing on places like Wisconsin where we can help both Evers for governor and Barnes for the Senate. The same in Michigan when you look at Governor, the Secretary of State's race, and others uh, uh, there. So uh, what we've done is we're focusing our firepower on five places where there's multiple races: some Congress, uh, Secretary of State, Governors, Senators. Pennsylvania is another great example of that one. We want both uh, Fetterman and Shapiro to win those races, and there's some some congressional races that if we we believe if you can lift up both. Uh, Shapiro and Federman win, and you get the turnout up. That's going to help carry some of these lower, uh, you know, s- smaller races in the House and in other places. So that's that's the, where where we're going to take it. By no means are is anybody walking away from Ohio or New Hampshire. We'll be doing things there, but our the the main focus it will be those five states
1: well and, and we can get more into this on a future podcast because we've gotten some questions about this but it, the other thing in those states to mention is there is a significant chunk of voters i mean we call them the band in line that the lp uh coined last cycle but it, essentially there are three four percent of people that if we can break them off of the poison cycle from fox news and, and get them out of kind of that that echo chamber that they ain't going back to the GOP.
0: I think the question with a lot of them, I mean, these are they're already moved away. You see this. I mean, I don't know if you, you saw today, I think, a new poll that had Trump's disapproval. He's underwater by 14 points. He was underwater by seven. The amount he's underwater has almost doubled in the last uh, month or so. The voters are clearly, there are people clearly moving away. The question is, do they stay home? Do they come out and vote? Many of them, for the first time in their lives, vote for a Democrat for a Senate race or governor, but they are movable. You know, I think we used to say, think that the Bannon line might, those voters that Bannon said if the the Lincoln Project could move them over, it would cost Trump the election. I think that back then uh, it was three or four points. I think now it's seven, maybe eight. And so, you know, that's something we're going to be focusing on the very specific group of voters that I think the Lincoln Project is very good at understanding how to talk to those voters, how to punch back against Fox and the Republican candidates out there and move those voters along. Again, some of them will stay home. Hopefully, we'll be able to pick up enough, as we did in 2020 against Trump, to win some of these Senate House and Governor's races.
1: And Joe, we're just about out of time today. I do want to just mention, and we'll get more into this next week. Maybe we'll even have him back. But uh, Tom Edsel, who is just a, a guest pretty recently, he has a new piece out in the Times that you and I were talking about earlier. Everyone should read it. It's kind of gets into the why we're on a slippery slope to authoritarianism. We'll put it in the show notes, but I, we don't have time to get too far into it today.
0: Yeah, Alex, you're right. We will put this in the show notes. I, I won't get into a lot of the specifics here, but they There's a lot of troubling uh, points that Tom lays out. And his biggest point, I think, is a quote of his, Donald Trump's drive to undermine American democracy has proved strikingly successful. And with that, please read it. But that, again, goes back to why 2022 is so important and why that's crazy that that's what he's done. And we have to keep doing the work to make sure it doesn't happen, folks. Join the union.us. Help people like the Lincoln Project just keep getting the energy out there, keep moving the message, keep amplifying that while they do the crazy, we're the ones out there getting things done.
1: Joe, that's just all the time we've got.
0: Thanks, Alex. And thanks, everyone, for listening to that trippy show. Everyone should read the Tom Etzel piece we discussed. We'll link to it in our show notes. We'll be back next week. And, of course, please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And let me tell you something. We really have seen an upsurge in the last few weeks of listeners. I really appreciate, Alex I appreciate you guys spreading the word, getting others to tune in. We really have done a good job of laying out what this year would look like a months ago and what we need to do. And I hope you'll keep spreading the word. You can always send us a question to that Show at gmail.com or leave us a question and review on iTunes. See you next time. Thanks, everybody. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.